Hello and welcome to the Road to Diversity by the IOD Jersey. I'm your host, Jonathan Channing. We are going to be laying the Road to Diversity bare during these interviews, learning from various individuals in the diversity and inclusion space, and also shining a light on the lived experience and expertise. Well, welcome, Kate, and it's brilliant to have you here today. So for those of you who don't know, Kate Wright is the founder of the Diversity Network and all-round enthusiasm and, you know, energy around passion of how we achieve equity and, you know, fly the flag for diversity and inclusion. Thank you for the lovely introduction, Jonathan. It's great to be here. So, Kate, what I'd like to start off with is um, getting an understanding of where did your journey start? I mean, you're not from Jersey originally, and you've come here, you know, what What was the beginning? When did diversity and inclusion become a focal point of your life? And, you know, just, you know, how how did you end up here? What, what, what was the story behind Kate Wright's Jersey's diversity and inclusion diva? <laughs> diva? No, I really like that title. I think I might keep that. That sounds very exciting. Um, well, I'm afraid it, it's not a very diva-ish story, really. Um, I mean, I'm a Londoner. Uh, I moved to Jersey six years ago. Uh, so my, my career started in, in London. Um, I guess my, my, my first sort of introduction to diversity and inclusion was back in the uh, early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, when diversity was just becoming a thing in business. It was just moving from a sort of US buzzword to something a bit more meaningful uh, in some of the the bigger corporates. Um, I was working uh, in HR for for Ernst & Young um, and I was given the task of of taking on diversity um, for the first time for for the firm. Um, And I, I, you know, it was fascinating. It it wasn't the easiest task at the time. There was a lot of um, a lack of awareness around what what it even meant and why it was important. Um, And I think the first thing that really, actually the first thing that really got me interested was more the the innovative solutions that looking at things through the lens of diversity and inclusion could bring to age-old people problems. You know, when you're stuck with recruitment, you know, broadening your your talent pool is a a solution and and how you go about that... um, requires some creativity and, and that really excited me as an HR practitioner but I suppose my my real uh, passion and my, my my DNI story if you like really started a few years later and I was working for another employer um, and um, it was employer an employer as as many big corporates did at the time um, engaged around corporate social responsibility we ran a program uh, in Tower Hamlet so really deprived part of London um, with some kids who really were, you know, at the raw end of the deal when it when it came to, to opportunity. Um, often um, English wasn't a first language. Uh, they didn't have the nice network that, that middle class kids like me had grown up with, people that could help them get their work experience in a you know, big office or guide them and help them navigate their way through the world of work. So these kids were were you know, there were big barriers um, to, to opportunity for them. And, and we had a we had a, a scheme working with them, um, coaching kids at GCSE level with their interview skills and their CVs. And, and it was all very worthy. Um, our, our managers really loved going along and it felt like we were doing a good thing. Um, and, I, I know, and I enjoyed it too. Um, but it, it never 
we never really saw any change as a result of our efforts until one day that is um one of the kids uh, who had been on our on the program we'd involved been involved in uh, applied for a job at the finance business that I, I, I worked for. Um, and I was the uh, HR manager at the time in charge of his recruitment. And I thought this was really exciting. I thought this is an opportunity for us to really put our money where our mouth is. And, you know, let, you know if we can recruit this kid who's been on this scheme and, and you really help break some barriers here and really help, yeah. you know, him fulfill his potential, that would be amazing. So I was very excited about this. Um, and I, I met him. Um, and um, he was really rough around the edges, as you would expect for a kid that had come from, um, you know, a, a very poor background. Um, you know, he, he at this point, he was, I think he was about 21. He, despite English not being his first language, um, despite not having having parents uh, who could help him with his homework and that kind of thing because of the language barrier, um, he's managed to get good A-levels, he'd gone to university, he'd financed himself through university, um, which was amazing, really impressive. He was really entrepreneurial, he'd set up little businesses, so he was clearly a bright, talented individual, but he was really, he was a rough diamond. He was really rough around the edges, and I met him, I could see his potential, but I was, I was too scared to put him through. I thought, he's not going to fit here He's going to get eaten alive by these established business people who perceive that you have to be a certain way to succeed in business. He's just too different. I can't do this to him. It will wreck his confidence. And I bottled it. I didn't recruit him. Wow. Okay. And, you know, the realisation of, of, of my role in holding people back, you know, someone with really positive intentions because of my assumptions and perhaps some of my unconscious biases, um, my, re my sort of understanding of, of, of what that actually meant um, and what I needed to do differently has sort of grown over the years. But it's, it's made, I guess it's made me want to, to put wrong or right. <laughs> I can't help that individual, but it's made me realise the part we all have to play. Um, and, you know, I should have recruited him. I should have given him the support. I should have found him a mentor, a coach, and he probably would have, you know, gone on to do fantastically well. Wow, um, that's um, amazing. And I think there's two veins I'd like to pick up on there. One um, is, you know, have you looked up this individual and seen what they're doing now? Because that could be, you know, really quite an exciting thing to hear. Um, and the other is, um, you know, which I probably after ask after answer after the first one is um, you're obviously in Jersey now, and we have a bit of an issue with social mobility, and um, you know, also you know, some people who are here English is not their first language, so it'd be interesting to hear your um, view of how things have changed and you know from when you were there and you had your biases if those biases still exist and is that prevalent in within Jersey's community but first I'd like to pick up on do you still know this individual and where are they now? Oh, I would, Jonathan. I would love to be able to say I, I, I know what he's doing now. Sadly, it was you know it's 15 years ago, and even with the you know the brilliant reach we have through social media, I, d I haven't been able to find him. But I am certain that it, he will have been incredibly successful. Um, you know, someone who was clearly very adaptable, very entrepreneurial. He's quite quite suited to our um, 
rapidly changing, uh, increasingly diverse diverse world. I'm sure he's been hugely successful, but sadly, I, I can't prove that. <laughs> um, in terms of social mobility in Jersey, um, actually, again, it was it was one of the things when I when I when I realised um, the extent of the gap here between the haves and the have-nots, um, which I didn't immediately on, on moving to the island. We tend to, you know, we often we exist in our own little bubble. Um, I, you know, there is, I think, a, more of a, a problem with regards to social mobility. There are more barriers than, than people realise. Um, you know, interestingly, nearly nearly 20, 25%, nearly a quarter of um, our school children uh, don't have English as a, a first language. Um, and about 22% are um, Jersey Premium children which are the children that that, that need uh a, a most financially disadvantaged uh, and and receive a you know a little extra um funding as as a result so i don't think a lot of people realize that and you know a lot of research suggests that you know children who don't have english as a first language um children from lower socioeconomic backgrounds really are disadvantaged so it's, it suggests to me and actually, you know, the more you go into business and the more that you see who we are employing, that there's a big, big number of our future talent who are currently being excluded, who don't see, you know, finance or law or some of our other sort of major industries as an option for them career-wise. Um, and I, I think that's a, you know, it's, it's not a good thing for our island. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's not the kind of society I want to live in um, but it's not good for Jersey PLC either you know we are excluding um, and, and not intentionally I don't think anyone means to um, but um, we are we are not uh, enabling uh, some of these kids to to have the same opportunities as as other children living on the island and that, and that needs to change we, we, we need to um, embrace a new reality almost and um we need to move to a place of conscious recognition of that the issue exists and then, you know, put in mechanisms to start solving these issues. And, you know, that's not going to happen if people don't first have that conscious view of a conscious view of actually, you know, we we do have this issue and this issue is not right. This is not equitable. This is not how we want our society to run. We want everybody to have the same opportunities. Um, into employment for example and you know their career aspirations regardless of you know what where they grew up you know and where they went to school and you know i think one of the positive things is digital because in digital no one cares where you work no one cares what school you went to no one cares what you look like no one cares when you work you know as long as you can perform and actually do it as long as you have a skill set you know, and if you learnt the skill set online over YouTube or, you know, various other platforms, then fine. As long as you can do the work, you can show your talent and your aptitude and your ability to problem solve, then, you know, you're in the door. You know, we don't have these biases. And I think that's really positive. I, I quite agree, Jonathan. And I think it's really exciting because the, the you know, the, the influence of, of digital as a, a force within our economy is, is growing and it's opening people's eyes. Um, you know, we, we have some very traditional businesses here um, who have been very successful over the years. You know, that, that traditional model has worked for them. Um, but I, I'm scared for, for some of those businesses who are not, um, waking up and smelling the coffee, to be honest, who are not seeing how the world is changing, how, uh, you know, the millennial influence, um, 
and the millennials are a, a significant part of our workforce. If you if they're not your leaders, your leader now. If you haven't got a millennial as your your business leader now, you will have very soon. They're coming through, and they have a very different. I'm, I'm a huge generalization, generalization, but they have a very different attitude to to work, how we work, um, you know, how we view inclusion, um, how we work with others, and and, and bring them in um, to to. To previous generations, the world is changing, and the world around the context is changing. It's increasingly diverse. Our clients are going to look very different in terms of their workforces, and um, you know, ethical the, the movement towards an ethical business where there isn't purely a focus on pro profits, um, which has generally been the the, the raison d'etre of, of business in the past. That that's shifting. People are taking a longer term view. You know, being an ethical business doesn't mean in the long term you're not going to have a, a you know a very profitable business, but you can do that whilst um, considering how you work and if you're working in an ethical way. And, and that, that's changing. And I think there are some businesses in our community who are recognising that and moving in the right direction. And they need to move swiftly because the world is changing so fast. But I think there are other businesses that are not there yet. They're not seeing this this huge change, this this shifting landscape just yet. Um, and, and I worry for their future if, if they don't see that soon. I, I, I think you're right there. And I think it's part of evolution of society. And we are moving to that place where we're becoming more inclusive and we're seeing more societal responsibility that businesses may have. Mm -hmm. And particularly thinking from the World Economic Forum, they've come out with a new social covenant, which is um, basically a new uh, social contract and actually, you know, an agreement between society, the businesses and the government and how that might actually work. So, you know, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. What I'm going to touch on is... Um, Barriers. What are the barriers to inclusion and equality? More generally, what are the barriers, Kate? Tell us the barriers so we can fix them. Gosh, it's 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 there. There are many. Um, I think um, education. You know, in terms of understanding, awareness. You know, I t I told a story at the beginning of this podcast about my own self awareness, and it wasn't until I became much more self aware that I realised my role in this and how I needed to change as a, as a manager um, you know and as a recruiter and uh, my part in this so I think there is a, an important piece about education and and helping people understand um, you know how they can operate in a way that that is more inclusive. Would you say um, fallibility plays a role in that you have to be fallible you have to be open to owning your mistakes as you've done today which I'm sure is an inspiration to many of our listeners and actually, you know, saying, you know, I got it wrong, you know, and actually, actually, I was wrong. Um, you know, I should have made that decision and I should have, you know, put in the additional mechanisms to make it work because um, it goes back to that conscious place, doesn't it? We want, you know, that conscious recognition of actually, you know, you know, we, none of us get things right. We're human, you know, we're not perfect. You know, we get things wrong, but few people especially in the business world seem to be able to recognize and you know own um being wrong yeah absolutely and i think we're we're scared to own up to it we're scared to to you know admit that we've got something wrong we're worried um that it's going to affect our you know our, our others perception of us or our career progression or whatever it might be but if if we don't we, we as you say we're, we're all human we all make mistakes and you know and that's okay as long as we you know, own it and learn from it. 
Um, and if we learn from it, that's okay. It's all right to make mistakes. Um, so I think I think you're absolutely right. I think you know we, we need to sort of be honest um, about ourselves and where our biases, our unconscious biases might lie. We need to learn a little bit more about our, our unconscious biases um, and, and so we can manage them and, and be honest about what they are. And that's it's nothing to be ashamed of to have unconscious bias. We're human. We all do. Everybody does. But we can manage that if we're aware of it. Um, but I think, you know, in the workplace, you know, and it actually, you know, looking at that issue of owning failures and learning from them, um, it's a really positive thing for a workplace. The kind of environments where people are, you know, allowed to make mistakes uh, and learn from them are the, are the organisations that are going to be, you know, more innovative. Uh, it's how you learn. If people are too scared to put their hand up with an idea or, or try something different, that organisation is, is, is stuck. It's not going to get that the, the benefit of the diversity of, of perspectives and, and insights and experiences that they already have within their organisation. So a, a safe, inclusive environment will enable that too. And Kate, what were the drivers for when you arrived here setting up the diversity network? Was that something you did straight away? You thought, oh, Jersey needs this. Or was it you sort of, you know, got your feet on the table and you thought, ah, Jersey needs this? <laughs> um, it, it, no, it certainly wasn't something I was thinking about doing at all. I, I came here, I, I didn't know anybody. I actually came here with the intention of, of setting up a, 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 an executive coaching business. I've, I've been working as a, a, an HR consultant for a number of years now. I thought I've got an opportunity to do something I love, coaching something I love. Um, this is what I'm going to do. I've got an opportunity to reinvent myself. Um, I actually found moving here difficult from a from a business perspective when you don't know anybody um, when you don't have a network it's quite hard to uh to to create the opportunities people are very friendly very welcoming um but often business networks are, are quite closed and it's about who you know um to quite an extent here um so you know i was finding it difficult to sort of get this this business off the ground and I started having doubts about what was the right thing to do anyway um I started networking uh because I, I needed to to build my network quite obviously and one of the first networking events I went to was one run by a, a group called um the the women's development forum it was a women's networking group and I went along and it was fantastic it was it was all about sport that day and it was we had some great speakers there were 120 women in the room it was really positive I thought this is great this is a fantastic energy and then at the end of it um Michelle Johansson who's a very inspiring lady from from Guernsey stood up and said well this is the last one um you know I, I'm not going to to run these in Jersey anymore would anyone like to take on the network um and I thought, well, this is a real shame because there is an amazing energy in this room. This has been a great event. And actually, I should take on this network. <laughs> um, it's an opportunity to carry on Michelle's good work, but it's an opportunity for me to really sort of propel my own network here. Um, so I put my hand up. I, I took on Michelle's network. Uh, she'd already done quite a lot of research with her committee and her members, which actually echoed my own feelings. And the feedback she got was, gosh, you know, Equality for, for women uh, is far from resolved. But if we want change, if we want progress, we need men in the room too. And, and I really believe that. Um, you know, and not all the gender inequalities are just on the, on the women's side either. I think, you know, 
fathers in the workplace, for example, have have a you know a lot of um, discrimination um, focused on them if they want to spend more time with their families, for example. Um, and I think in, and and the feedback also suggested that you know gender equality isn't the only diversity issue that is pressing here in Jersey. Um, there are many others, um, neurodiversity, disability, uh, age discrimination. Um, there are many more issues that we need to look at. So I was excited by this, and this is how the, the Women's Development Forum became the diversity network. Um, and our, our focus became broader. Um, and it was exciting to see over until COVID hit, of course, and we couldn't run big events, to see, you know, an increasing number of, of men in, in the room, uh, engaging in the debate and the, and the conversation. Ah, no, absolutely. And it's, it's about how we collectively get together to move the narrative forward. And, you know, that needs people who, you know, are not representative of diversity and maybe representative of, you know, what you perceive to be the norm and, you know, the, the you know, the acceptable way to be within um, the organization you spoke about um, many years ago when you took the decision not to recruit that young man from disadvantaged backgrounds um, so yeah I think that's a great point there and diversity network now what are the projects you're working on because you've you've done a lot um, but what's 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 you know what what's happening right now what's next well um we, we, we've had a focus in the last couple of years. I mean, diversity is a huge, huge subject. Uh, and we took a decision to, to, to focus on two aspects of, of diversity and inclusion in, in our events. Um, and, and that was gender equality and, and mental health. Um, and we're going to continue with that, that focus for the, for the next year. We, we, we get involved in many aspects of DNI, but that it's helpful to have a, a sort of honed in focus. Uh, and we're far from far from having resolved uh, th those particular issues. So we're going to continue with a focus in, in those respects. I'm particularly interested in work to close the uh, gender pay gap and extending that to the ethnicity pay gap, for example. Um, I think COVID has uh, changed for good the way in which we're going to network going forward and the way in which we choose to attend uh, events. Um, I Certainly for the foreseeable future, we we're unable to run large events as we did in the past. So we will be doing more online, more virtual events, which is actually, you know, bringing in people that perhaps didn't come along before. It's very accessible um, to, to run some of these uh, events and, and speakers online. So we're going to do more of that. We are, as soon as we can get people back in a room, we've had some really interesting smaller workshops of 20 or so people where we've really been able to sort of drill down to some some of the the big issues and work to, together to come up with some solutions and I've, I've you know I've really enjoyed doing that with the IOD uh, DNI subcommittee over the last year so we're going to do more of those smaller workshops and hot off the press nobody else knows this yet um, but we are very excited to be uh, collaborating with Value Metrics um, Hilary Jern in particular one of their directors on a, a platform in which we uh, we hope we will uh, improve the networking opportunities who, for, for people, initially women, but we, we hope to extend it to, to other minority groups too, who are perhaps currently not um, in the inner circles of some of our sort of policy makers and major influencers and decision makers in the community and provide a platform from which they can um, 
show off their talents. Um, people who are perhaps interested uh, with, you know, with the areas of expertise of, of interest to the community who are perhaps keen to, to be speakers or panellists at conferences, um, interested to make themselves their expertise available to policymakers um, from you know, a variety of backgrounds and, and, and interests and industries. Uh, and we hope by doing that that we give the opportunity to to people to extend their networking who are struggling currently um, but we make it easier for those uh, policy makers and decision makers and conference organizers to ensure that that the people they're working with come from a more diverse group so that panelists can be more easily more diverse um, that when when important policies are being developed there is a diverse pool of, of, of talent to to consult with so watch this space. It's still in development, but it's something I'm really excited to launch in, in 2021. That does sound very exciting. And I think that's the key point you say there. You know, we don't um, perhaps realise, you know, um, that our own networks aren't diverse or inclusive because um, we all have our own circles, you know, like, likes, like, and we all gravitate towards people we like. So we work with people we like, we socialise with people we like, but sometimes it can be really powerful to step out of your circle and just go into the, walk into the unknown and start, you know, talking to people from different backgrounds, you know, different circles, different um, places in life. I quite agree. And it can open so many doors and spark so many new ideas. Um, you know, I, I, I find it really energising to sort of, as you say, get out of your usual in a circle and, 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 and make sure that you're um, meeting and, 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 and talking and working with people who, you know, aren't in that, 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 that usual circle. When you talk about barriers previously, you know, networking or, or, or lack of it is one of those, certainly, or the opportunities to. But that's changing too, you know. Networking still goes on in the pub after work, not, not at the moment, thanks to COVID, but still goes on in the pub after work and on the golf course. But that is changing. The world is changing. And so is networking. Yes, and um, yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's positive. We're starting to realise that actually, you know, what, you know, me and you may think oh, it's great for team morale to, you know, go down the pub or, you know, go have a drink together. But, you know, if Jess or Ollie in the office don't drink or, you know, don't, you know, suddenly it becomes a divide and yeah. it's a divide we've created because we've created something that's not accessible to everybody because we've perhaps not had that consultation or you know we've perhaps you know not um not not realized you know yeah. we've perhaps not put ourselves in Jess or Ollie's shoes it's certainly not intentional and and, and no one's saying you can't socialize in the pub but we just need to be aware just how much decision making you know from a business point of view perhaps does go on in that environment and just be aware of who may be excluded and be aware of how much more powerful it might be to to ensure that some of those people are included um you know diversity certainly leads and i firmly believe this diversity certainly leads to better decision making and and more innovative solutions and and equally people have to be happy to step out of their comfort zone because that's the only way you move forward for anyone. Yeah. And, you know, if you if you can't step out of your comfort zone, then, you know, you can be as inclusive as you like. But, you know, yeah. someone's never going to fully, you know, get that benefit of sort of getting those networks and, you know, moving forward and, you know, rising in terms of, you know, society. Yeah. And, you know, uh, so it's important that people are happy and, you know, they don't have to be confident that, you know, people step out their comfort zone 
and you know they they own that they don't they don't yep. apologize sometimes for it. you just, just got to do it and, they, you know, <laughs> and they, it does get easier they as you don't say don't feel comfortable but they just do it till they do, do. and then eventually yeah. you know the world opens up and yeah. the world is in you what is your diversity wish list for jersey gosh um what is my wish list uh i i think it's i think it's for people to proactively step out of their comfort zones as you say uh ask ask difficult ask the difficult questions of themselves and of their teams particularly if they're a leader challenge the status quo actively reach out to to people who aren't within their their normal sphere um increase their self-awareness I, I you know as i said self-awareness is is key um but we've, we've we've got to reach out you know we've got to challenge ourselves don't do what i did 15 years ago you know challenge that immediate assumption if you know challenge yourself challenge your assumptions um and and that and that way you know we'll change as individuals and and collectively as as a group oh, well i think that's a better way to end than many well thank you for coming along kate and we'll see you again soon thank you jonathan hope you've enjoyed our podcast brought to you by the iod jerseys subcommittee for diversity inclusion if you'd like to know more about what we are doing with regards to diversity inclusion please do get in touch with our branch officer